0: Jesus said to the disciples do not let your hearts be troubled believe in God be all light, believe also in me in my father's house there are many dwelling places if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and take you to myself So that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than any of these because I am going to the Father." I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Duties as assigned. There we go. All right. When I was working as a machinist at Boeing, there was a guy that I would have lunch with, oftentimes during the day, and he was on fire, man. He had every other word in the Bible, I think, was highlighted, especially in the book of Acts. And he would, he would talk to me about his faith, and he would kind of grill me on my faith and where I was at. And I was fairly young. I was in my middle-ish to late 20s. And one of the things that he really would harp on again and again and again is that my baptism was invalid. I had to be baptized in the name of Jesus. He would say that like it was in all caps. In the name of Jesus. You're, you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And he would go through Acts, and he would say, see where these folks are, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And he got me t- to where the point where I was feeling a little like, oh, is he right about this? What's going on? And I went to my pastor, who said, like I'm sure Jesus does to his disciples oftentimes, oh man, he goes, who do you think the Son is in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And I thought, okay, got it. <laughs> kind of a thing. That gentlemen as Much as I admire how passionate he was about his faith was sitting in a particular Judgment seat of God It's got to be the way we do it It's got to be the way we say it and there were other signs of that of the spirit really truly being on me or really truly kind of signs that I needed to show that 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 made it apparent that I was truly saved That I was truly in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've encountered that before. Maybe you've been that person before. Now perhaps for the folks in this room. That's an easy judgment seat to see. And we can kind of push that one aside and say. Oh yeah. Not not for me. That's, That's not how I see this. That's clearly a judgment seat of God. Telling someone they have to do this and this. And give them the list of the law in order to be saved. As if Christ died on the cross for nothing. But there's another judgment seat, and I've been pretty comfortable in this one. When I was even younger than working at Boeing, I sat on the other side in another judgment seat, thinking I was doing nothing of the sort. I had this weird kind of thing in my head, this sort of scenario that I had come up with. And I don't know if you have felt this, or I know, as for young people, a lot of times this question comes up because you're kind of asking these these questions of existence right like like who am i and and what am i going to do and and uh, why am i here and do i have any purpose any place in this world in this life and i think i was kind of in that stage in my very late teens probably more early 20s and i kind of had that question about do i belong and that creeped into my faith do i do I belong in in God's kingdom? Like, am I good enough? Am I saved enough? Do I have faith enough? All those enough questions. So I came up with this strange scenario in my own head. And again, excuse my late teenage to early young adult brain. Adolescence goes now till 27. So we have the excuse that our, our brains are not cooked until 27. So anyway, I thought, what if there was a man who was deep in the jungles of the Amazon? Never been reached before by outsiders. Never had heard uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And let's say he's my age. And we grow up kind of on this parallel, you know, sort of thing. And and we both die. And we're standing before the judgment seat of God. Do I go to heaven because I believed and he goes to hell because he didn't? Or does he go to heaven because he didn't know and I go to hell because I didn't take Jesus' Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations seriously. And so I decided in that moment, or through some moments of thinking about that, you know what? God is merciful. Everybody's in. I've decided for the world. Everybody's saved. Now, that's actually a judgment seat of God as well. Now, I went to seminary, and I wrote a paper about it because... You know, these professors, I'm sure they wanted my wisdom. Oh, I was going to enlighten them at 29 years old about how I had figured it out, this great question that we all need to answer about our salvation. And so I wrote that paper, and the professor wrote back to me, and i got to look at my script here to see kind of what he said. He was gentle. (laughs) But he said so you have this figured out, do you? Do you think that you should be sitting in the judgment seat of God? Do you think God's okay with that? (laughs) What does this have to do with anything that we're hearing today in our gospel? Actually, you can put up the next slide, the two chairs thing. I should have said that before. My bad. I didn't give any instructions on that, but... We kind of have these chairs, and and honestly, we could fill this sanctuary. We could fill uh, our parking lot with all kinds of chairs of judgment that we continually sit in, inside and outside of the church, right, of our faith. But I think in our gospel for today, Jesus is doing a little bit of surgery for us. Now, if you remember last week, Jesus told the story of the good shepherd, and that story was in reference to the blind man who'd been, who he, whom he had healed, a man born blind from birth, which no one heals a man born blind or a woman or a person born blind from birth, but Jesus had. And because of that and because of his testimony about Jesus, he is shoved out of, of his community by the religious leaders. Right? Because they know. They got it figured out. And Jesus Turns the world, I know we sometimes talk about Jesus turning the world upside down, really he turns it right the upside down world right side up when he says, No, I'm the shepherd, I'm the gate. And Jesus, in this, in this word with his disciples, on the on the cusp of of his going to the cross and dying, just after he he has communed with them, including Judas, by the way, and he has washed their feet. And he has told them, there's there's one who's going to betray me right before Judas goes out. And he's told Peter, look, you're going to deny me three times. And there's all this buzz in the room for the disciples. And Jesus sits with them. And one of the things he says to them is, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's that gate thing again The title of our sermon for today Jesus says once again He makes this very exclusive claim Not only on his disciples But on the world You see Jesus does A little bit of surgery here He takes these chairs And the disciples heart That's loud That's going to be louder And he kicks them over He burns them down. He surgically removes something that is in all of our hearts, has been in our hearts from the beginning. In fact, we can go back to the story of Genesis. And what was it that Adam and Eve wanted? What did they desire? What was that fruit? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from the tree of judgment. Now, I know people want to say, well, why did God put the tree there in the first place? That's not the point of the story. The point is that we do, we desire to sit in that judgment seat. We desire to be in control and lords over what is good and what is evil. But Jesus burns those down. Now, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me has been weaponized, right? We've dusted off that chair and we've gotten in it and said, Ha, you better or else with Jesus' word, haven't we? Certainly we have. The church has a history of jumping into that chair and judging the world inside, outside. You better or you'll burn. You better or else. Sometimes we've gotten so heavenly-minded, we've been no earthly good. So what does that mean for us? Am I just supposed to live this, okay, everything is okay, all the time, kind of whatever life? No, that's not it. Let me use the example of Nelson Mandela. I know it's a little unapproachable for us regular folks, but Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for 19 years in a cell that was 7 feet by 8 feet. I remember when President Obama visited, he's got pretty long arms, and he was able to touch each wall with his arms. Tiny little cell. He missed the death of one of his children, the funeral of one of his children when she died. He missed all kinds of things in life. He was punished severely in that prison. He was not given outside time a lot of times, even though it was on this beautiful island. And yet, what did he do? Did he say, when he got released from that prison, when apartheid ended, did he say, you know what, apartheid wasn't that bad. It's okay. No, He didn't say that. Did he tell people to forgive and forget? Forgive, yes. Forget? No. Remember, but remember so that we can move forward in a way that is life-giving. Did he seek justice? Did he seek reparations? Yes, he did. But both in his imprisonment, and I don't have time to go into it today, but if you could read the stories of the way in which he treated the guards who imprisoned him, you'd be shocked. So both in his imprisonment and then in his leadership afterwards, he was focused on the reconciling love of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, when these chairs are taken away from us, when that judgment is surgically removed out of our hearts, when that original sin is taken by Jesus, when he says to us, I'll take that for you, I just want you to be free. I know Nelson Mandela Mother Teresa, all these examples are kind of like, well, I don't even have that opportunity, let alone that kind of of a heart. I can't imagine I would have reacted in the way he did after all that imprisonment. But the example is still there for us. The truth is still there for us. What does the world look like when we are simply set free to offer Christ's love to a world in need? Maybe we can just look at the rest of this text and we'll notice how much Jesus cares for his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled as they're stirring around about the temptation and the betrayal and what's going on and what's going to happen next. And why is, you know, what is, Jesus, you've been talking to us about your crucifixion more and more. What, you know, what's going on? We're scared. We feel afraid. We feel alone. Jesus says, chill. <laughs> It's okay. Believe. Just have faith. Just follow me. I'm taking all of that worry. I'm taking all of that judgment on myself. Jesus gives them a sense of belonging. I go and prepare a place to you Is not just some picture of heavenly mansions someday, but Jesus uses the word for abide. I, ab- I abide in you, and you will abide in me. You are part of me. I call you my friends, you are my children, you belong to me. Jesus gives them a sense of place, a sense of belonging. He kind of covers every single human need that they might have as they sit at that table worried about what is going to happen next. And then he surgically removes that fruit that we love to eat and gorge on and have dripping from our fangs as we judge the world in all kinds of different ways. But what if we were simply free? What if we were just simply free to love and to serve and to leave all of that stuff in God's hands? What if we had this ethic as we encountered the world, no matter who the person is, no matter where they're coming from, no matter what their story might be, no matter what they've done or left undone, what if we were simply to treat them as if they'll be our neighbors in heaven? What if that's how we went forward in mission, simply because we are free? What if everything that came at us, that, that judged us, that made a, tried to make a claim on us, we could just laugh in its face and say, ah, you've got to be kidding me. You don't save me. You don't own me, and you don't claim me. And what if we passed that kind of love onto the world? what would it look like? Oh, we'll fail. Oh, we'll brush off these seats and try to sit in them again and judge the world in our, in our own way. And certainly we have opinions and approaches and, and political stances and social stances and ways that we're going to approach the world in love and in service. But we leave the judgment of the world up to God and simply proclaim, you belong as well. You are a child of God as well. I love you. And God loves you. You belong to him. That's our message as we're sent. That's the claim that Jesus makes, that we will do even greater things than he has done. To love, to serve in freedom, in hope, in connection with the world. Amen.